So our main text today is going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're starting a new series called Be Radiant. There is a movement happening uh, all over the world, and I can't remember if it's the second or third week in July. It's been happening probably, I don't want to guess how many years, but um, Dino Rizzle started this movement called Servolution, where it's, I think, the second or third Saturday in July, where churches all over the world serve their communities through different kinds of projects, and it's hundreds of different kinds of projects, and we've been part of that. You've been part of our Be Radiant Serve Day. Be Radiant, that's like a slogan for us, and like, what does that mean? And even when we're talking about like water the city, what does that mean? Because if we're not careful, they can just be cute slogans. But they do mean something. To me, they're prophetic. So when we tell you to be radiant, we're telling you go out and love the world. When we say water the city, we're, we're talking about loving our city. We're talking about creating environments for people to encounter the presence of God. So that's what I want to talk about today is what does it mean to be radiant, to love others, to water the city? Who is our neighbor to to do good? Acts chapter 10 uh, says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then after he had an anointing and after there was empowerment, and by the way, we have an anointing. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. He's empowered us. And look, it doesn't say water the city, but this is what we mean when we say water the city. Then Jesus went around, what? Doing good and healing people. And this is the model for us as Christians to to do good. So today, I've chosen, if you've been in church for a while, you've you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, even if you've not been to church, most people have heard of the phrase Good Samaritan, and we know what that means. But the Good Samaritan is the simple act of kindness where someone comes along and they become the miracle for you. They, they did good. And that's the story we're going to look at today. Uh, earlier in June, years ago, my dad gave me a boat. And uh, in the boat trailer, uh, the bearing, we thought the bearing went out of it a couple years ago. So it's just set out behind the barn. I'm like, I got to get my dad's boat going. So uh, I, I, I repaired the bearing and it, the motor doesn't work anymore. It's, it's an old 1973 or 72 Myers 14 foot like John boat or flat bottom boat. It's, it's an awesome boat. You can, you can get a lot of people and it's wide too. You can get a lot of people in this boat. But it wasn't working anymore. It wasn't working so I went on Marketplace and found me a six-horse, little six-horse Evan Rude motor. And the guy sticks it in a big barrel. You know, I go to his house. He drops this boat motor in a barrel, starts it up. It's running amazing. Like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. I'll buy it. It was really cheap. And so I bought it, and I stick it on my dad's John boat. And I convinced my wife, let's go out and test this motor. And I found a new lake I'd never been to, and I can't remember the name of the lake. It's near, uh, it's irrelevant where it was. But it was a big, 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 big lake, almost the size of Gull Lake. I don't know. It was just a massive lake. So we get in there, and we, we drop it off. We're in the water, and it won't start. And I'm like, God, that dude started it so quick in his, you know, his bucket of water. And eventually, I got it started, and... Um, and I'm like, man, this lake is massive. Let's, let's just drive this lake. 
And so the, the motor kept stalling, and I would reprime. I had a little bulb that you kind of prime gas into the, the little engine, and it'd start back up. And then it finally got going. Well, then I thought, it must be this little bulb isn't working right. And I'm not, re- I know a little bit, but I'm not real mechanical. So what I start doing is I start, I put the bulb in, in the boat floor while I'm steering, and I'm pumping that gas like this, thinking it's keeping my engine going. And we get all the way to the other end of, of the lake. I don't know that I flooded the motor. Because, yeah. I mean, I figured someone told me later. But so I'm, we're stuck out there. And I, I bet for a half hour, just a yanking and my arms sore. Why won't this start? I'm taking the spark plug out and blowing in there. Cannot get this thing to start. I see. I, I say, maybe it's not getting enough gas. I'm watching gas um, uh, literally flow out of the air things like I had that much gas in the carburetor was spitting out the little tiny air holes in the carburetor and so the sun is setting and uh and Jen knows me I'm not gonna give up on this motor like I am determined there was it would have probably taken us over an hour to row back so Jen in her wisdom starts rowing and while I'm just like, you know, I think I'm going to save the day, but I'm not. I'm just wearing my arm out. And finally, a party pontoon goes by. You know what a party pontoon boat is? They, you know, they're, they're look like established people doing really well in life. Pull up in this really nice. They're watching my wife row the boat. And they're like, you need a tow? And she's like, yes. And so we... We tie it, and the tow is like a 15-minute tow, and they're doing a pretty good clip. I actually, because on the video, it looked like it was my motor, just just this gushing in the wave coming out. So I, I filmed it for my son, like, look at how fast this boat's going. <laughs> and, uh, and then I turn it around to, so they can see the pontoon. Uh, we, get, we get down at the end, get to the, back to the dock, and I'm throwing them the rope back. And all I had was 20 bucks on me. So I'm like, I'm going to give him this 20 bucks. Like, hey, thank you so much. And he's insulted. He's like, no, 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 come on. No, this is, this is lake code. Like, you don't offer someone money. I'm like, he's literally insulted. And now he's educating me. And so I'm listening. I'm taking it like I should because, you know, I don't know how to drive a boat. And uh, <clears throat> so he educates me. And then he says this, dude, just, just pay it forward. Just pay it forward. I'm like, yes, I know this. I'm a believer. I know this. I, I should be able to accept a blessing. Something in me tells me I got to pay for your kindness. But, but I accept his kindness, and I just put that in the back of my mind. Pay it forward. Because there is something true about that. Many of us have seen that movie, and the idea of pay it forward is like someone does something good for you, so you, you do it. You know, how many of you have gotten the Starbucks line? You know, and they're like, oh, someone paid for your coffee. What do you do? You pay for the person behind you, except it's like 10 bucks more, and you're like, oh. <laughs> well, you did a good thing. Trust your judgment. You did something good. That's what pay it forward means. That's what it means to water the city, little acts of kindness. Little, little acts of kindness just begins to permeate. And research shows us when people start to do good, other, other people like notice they want to pay it forward. So in Luke chapter 10, on one occasion, verse 25, 
An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's viewing that eternal life is something we do. And what really, we receive it from Jesus as we follow him. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and, and you will live. He's like, hey, yeah, love God, love people. Loving people is loving God. Like when you love on other people, and you tow them back to the dock. One day you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, hey, enter into the eternal glory for when I was in need in the lake, you, you've saved me. Like, Lord, when did I see you in the lake? You know that time when you pulled up with the pontoon and you saved that pastor, you did it unto me. Jesus said this. What we do, he said, when you come to me one day, we'll stand from heaven and said, hey, you're blessed because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And you will say, well, when did we do that? He said, when you did it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So when we are loving people, we're actually loving God. And Jesus, so the guy interprets the Bible, right? And he says, yep, do that and you'll live. Those, that's a good principle to live by. But then he says, uh, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who is my neighbor? And we, you know, we, we read this and often we'll beat up on those scribes and Pharisees, all the religious people, the religious leaders, what's wrong with them? Of course, we all know who the neighbor, how to be a neighbor but there was something he was lacking, and Jesus must have touched a nerve for him to say, well, he wanted to justify himself. Now, we don't ask that anymore, but here's how we do it today. We do the same thing. Because he's, he's asking for, like, a thing, like, who's, okay, love the Lord your God. What is that? What's, what's the thing I got to do? It's a noun to him. Like, what's, you know, a noun is a person, place, or thing. Like, what, what's the thing I got to do? What's, what's the noun? And uh, he, because he's, obviously there's something Jesus touched on. So here's how we do it. We don't say love, uh, you know, who's our neighbor? What we do is we say, why doesn't this program exist? Like, we'll, we'll, we'll come to church and we used to do this thing called Team Radiant years ago. Um, we, we, now it's kind of through empowerment, but we, we would gather Team Radiant Sunday nights, first Sunday of the month. Uh, this was seven, eight years ago in the old building. And a, a few times people would say, well, what is the church uh, doing for, for the community? And they were like, what are the programs that, that uh, you're offering to the community? And I would often just list what people are doing, uh, not necessarily like programs. And then I just turn on like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's like, well, what, what program can I, we often come to church with a consumer mindset. Not, not you, because you're the choir. I mean, you come to church on 4th of July weekend. No one does that. Actually, it's my first time, I think, preaching on 4th of July weekend in 10 years. I don't even come on this weekend. 
So I know that I'm preaching to the choir. So it's not you, but people want to know, like, what program, what's the consumers? And the reason why we like programs is because there's an in and an out. There's a beginning and an end. And it takes the responsibility off of us. And here's the point. A lack of love is easy to justify. We're blaming the religious people. We all do it at times. Well, somebody ought to do something about that. Often, weekly, weekly people, uh, and let me just preface this. The motives, I think, are pure. They're they're from a place of like wanting to do something better uh, for the community or or, or even for the church. So we will often get ideas. People will email us ideas. They'll come to us with ideas. Just from, I mean, it's a gamut. I'm amazed at how many ideas we can come up with to do good. And it's just, that's all, they're all good things. So they'll come, and they'll have a meeting with me or Pastor Jeff. If, if I'm not available, Pastor Jeff will meet with them. And, and uh, I actually have slowed down my meeting on idea meetings. I want to I stick to personal ministry, that kind of thing, but because they just kept coming, just kept coming ideas. And here's what my takeaway was, was this. I have this great idea. I want to get behind the momentum of the church and use its momentum, and I want you to do it. Whoa, wait. <laughs> You start it. You do something. It's easy to justify uh, a lack of love because the church hasn't done it yet. I like what JFK would say in his campaign uh, when he was president. He said, ask not. It's my 4th of July quote just because I had to do it. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. It's the same with church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for the church. Church was not meant to be the American Western consumeristic. I come, you give me something. We are meant to serve the church. We are meant to be fascinated by the presence of Jesus. That's the point of church is to come and encounter his presence. And our responsibility as a church is not programs. We have some, but we have a filter of how, what anything we launch and what we will get behind. It. And I'm convinced do few things really well than many things crappy. So we do few things. And we get judged for it. I understand. But what we do well, when you go to a bloom, you're going to get set free. When you go to awaken, there's going to be something you're going to encounter. When you come to the Holy Spirit class, you're probably going to get a prayer language. I mean, the few things that we do... We want to do well versus like just trying to launch every idea that comes. What our main thing is and for 2,000 years is create the best Sunday experience for your community. Because it's the presence of God that will transform people, not programs. It is the personal touch that you bring when you're greeting somebody at the door. It's the personal touch that you bring when you have the conversation, when we're singing together. I mean, first service, this service, I I didn't do it, but first service, I was just hit by the presence of God. I'm like, I'm on my knees. And something about the voices and singing in his presence, you feel Jesus. He's in the midst of our gathering. That's what we do for our community. Programs are good. They give you information. They are helpful. I'm not against them. We have a few programs. But it's the presence of Christ that brings transformation. But it's really easy to justify 
a, a lack of love. So Jesus launches into a story, a, a parable, and he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, in our... I'm not a priest, but I'm a pastor. And the way we would maybe read this today is like a pastor is seeing somebody in need. He's unempathetic. He walks by. Then a Levite. A Levite um, took care of the temple, served priests. They did. Uh, they, they were like Team Radiant, like what we do on Sundays. It'd be like the volunteers here. So someone at Radiant Church, they just walk by. They, 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 they don't do anything. They don't want to be inconvenienced. Number two, love is willing to be inconvenienced. You know, I, I'm not sure. It was under 100 miles. I, I did read it this week, but I can't remember if it was like 70, 80 miles. It's a bit of a journey to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was um, kind of a windy road, and it was a descent down um, Jericho was like under sea level. So Jerusalem was above sea level. So it's, a, I think, like a 3,000 feet descent. And it was filled with caves. So when the ancients heard this story, they, this would not have been a stretch of the imagination because um, people would hide in these caves. Robbers would hide in these caves. Thieves would hide in, hide in these caves. And they would harm people. And it was a dangerous road to be on. So it makes sense to me that the priest and the Levite walk by because perhaps they're thinking, well, if he got beat up, they're probably still around and it's too dangerous to stop. It's an inconvenience. I'm on my way to a thing, but love is willing to be inconvenienced. I've never, as a pastor either with myself or even someone in the church, have a crisis come at a convenient time. It's not like you schedule it. Like, hey, if you're going to have a crisis and you need pastoral care, make sure it's Thursday between 4 and 8 p.m. That's when our block of time is. No. When, when someone's marriage falls apart or there's an accident or a death in the family, it's never at a good time. Love comes in in the most inconvenient times you know, I'm sure the pontoon party boat wasn't wanting to whip back all the way to the other side of the lake. They looked like they had an agenda. They looked like they were going to have a lot of fun. But we messed it up. But they were willing to be inconvenienced. That flat tire, you pull over and you help that person. Someone's on the side of the road. I, I often, uh, there, there's a, there's a, we live near the highway. I-94, about two miles away from it. So there's exits on both sides of our, our road. And often we'll see people either under the bridge or um, sitting on the exit. And I always stop and just say, hey, do you need help? And most of the time, it's a no. But I'm willing, like, if you need something, I will help you. One Sunday morning, I get up in the morning 
and uh, we're on our way to church. We're going to be, uh, we were running late, and uh, I see this couple walking along my road. We're getting in the car to go to church. It's like 7 or 30 in the morning, and uh, this woman's like bleeding. She, they walk up the driveway, and I say, hey, can I help you? And she like literally looked like what we just read, like beat up. And so it's a man and this woman, and she's bleeding like crazy. And I'm thinking, did he harm her? I'm like, hey, are you safe? She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm safe. Well, what, what happened to you? She said, I jumped out of a car. And, I'm, and you could see, like, it wasn't like a scratch. I mean, it looked like someone had pummeled her. And I said, you got to go to the hospital She's like, no, I don't want to do that. I said, no, get in the car. You have to go to the hospital. So she, I convinced them to get in the car. Now, I normally drive east to get to church because it's the way I got to go. Always east, east, east. And for whatever weird reason, I turned right. I went west, which is, you know, going to be out of the way. But I just thought, go west and then loop back to the highway and then head east, which I've never, ever done. But, this, but I, I go west. And then I get to the stop sign, and there's a policeman in a car, and, and it hits me like the Lord must have made me go west. And so I said, oh, there, there's police right here. So I get out of the car, and said, there's this woman. And what had happened is it had been a robbery that he was part of. She did jump out of a moving car. So, the, you know, the, the policemen take them. But it messed up my morning. Because I said to preach that day, to be at church on time, which I wasn't on time. But my, my heart was, felt like this woman is bleeding. We got to help her. Love is, is willing to be inconvenienced. You might get dirty. Your clothes might get dirty. Have you ever wore something and you think, don't wear this because you might get dirty and you don't know why, but then something happens and you, then you got... Maybe it's a guy thing, but for whatever reason, if we get a new pair of jeans, they're going to have grease on it by the end of the day. Because it's an inconvenience, but I'm going to help so-and-so. You're rubbing up against the car. You get greasy. Love is willing to be inconvenienced, but the priest and the Levite didn't want to. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Samaritan shouldn't be the hero of this story to the early Jewish people. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. It, there was tribal fighting. Jews um, seen Samaritans. They called them half-breeds because they were half-Jewish and half another race. It was like a racism thing. And they did not like each other. And Jews wouldn't even go to Samaria. They would walk around it. That's how much they hated them. Jews hated the Samaritans. And so Jesus is making the hated person the hero of the story. We hear it today. When we hear Good Samaritan, we, we think like, oh, the good guy. Yeah, but the person who heard it 2,000 years ago was like, whoa, you're messing the story up. The priest should have been the one. The Levite should be the hero. Why are you making the enemy the hero? And his, his point is that our neighbor can sometimes even be our enemy. But we got to see it. 
The Samaritan sees it. Number three, we must open our eyes to see the need. And we must be willing to even go to the people that we might not even want to minister to because their ideology is different than ours. Love does not require them. When we love our community, when we're watering our city, when we're trying to do good deeds, love does not require that they think like us. Love does not require that we convert somebody. People are not projects. They're people to be loved. But we have to open our eyes to see that, to see the need. So he went to him. Here's what the Samaritan does. He goes to him and bandages his wounds and pour on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn. So this man must have wealth. I mean, he's not walking like, this, like the guy was. He had a donkey. He gives up his ride, gives somebody a ride. Today that would be like, you know, pulling over like, hey, can I give you a lift somewhere? Of course, that's dangerous now. I, I would still do it sometimes, but that's me. But hear the Holy Spirit on that. <laughs> he went and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, and then he put the man on his own docking. and he brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. He took care of him. The fourth thing is love responds to human need. Love responds to human need. And it's simple acts of kindness that does it. Like the pontoon guy. To me, that was a miracle. By the way, I did get the boat running. <laughs> Probably should finish the story. Not that night, obviously, because the sun had went down. But eventually we got it running. I haven't used it since. <laughs> This has nothing to do with the point that love responds to human needs. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Love feels. It sees people in need. What does that look like in our day and age? What does that look like to you? What would it look like for you to open your eyes, to not close our eyes, and see the human need? And then do that. What we're seeing here, when he says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? He doesn't say, oh, go to such and such church. They got a program where you can serve people. It's <laughs> not what he says. He, he just tells a story and says, oh, a neighbor is the one person that you can connect with and help them. But you have to have empathy for it. And we make it abstract. This is how we justify our inaction. We wait for a church or, or a community organization to launch a thing that we can get behind instead of just saying, you know, there's one person right now you could help. When we did our first Be Radiant Serve Day, there's a brilliant idea. Someone said, hey, one of the things we could do, they sent us an email and I loved it. They said, we could just, let's just go to the laundromat and pay for people's laundry. So we would go in and just that whole morning we were preparing for people's laundry. 
And then there was a, a woman who didn't have any money to pay for her laundry, and she told her kids she had enough money to buy them food, if I'm remembering the story right. Goes to McDonald's or Burger King, gets some food, and it's all her money, but she's got to go to the laundromat. And she tells her kids, God will make a way. She gets to the laundromat, and here's Radiant Church, people in our church throwing coins, just paying for everybody's laundry. She begins... Like, she's moved by it because she has no money. The kids are like, Mom, you're right. God, like, provided. And listen, I know what it's like to be in need. I, I lived in a trailer park for two years. I've been bankrupt. And when somebody comes along and they give you $20, when you have nothing, it's like $200. It's like $2,000. It is the miracle. Because someone seen the need and said, Let, let's help you. Verse 35, the next day, he took two denarii. A denarii was about a day's wage, so two days' wages. So, you know, take your pay, divide it by how many every days you work, and take two of them. So that's a significant cut of what you make. So he invests into this man, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. Last thought is this. Look, love requires a sacrifice sometimes. Love requires sometimes going the distance. Love requires sometimes going above and beyond. You know, bandaging a man and just getting him safely to Jericho could have been enough. But he goes above and beyond. He, he takes them to a hotel, pays for, you know, the first night and then two more nights. And um, he says, hey, just take care of this guy. Here's enough money to do that. But the Samaritan just does it for the one guy. That sometimes requires a, a sacrifice. Verse 36, which of these three, Jesus is answering his question, who is his neighbor? Which of these do you think it was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, notice he won't say the Samaritan. That's how much, like all commentaries reference this. I would have probably not picked up on that. But Jesus literally like names the priest, the Levite. If it would have been the priest, the man would have said the priest, the Levite. But he refuses because of the hate. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus, Jesus told him, or <clears throat> the law, I'm sorry, which of the three was a neighbor that fell around? The expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the question is, who is my neighbor? What's the place? What's the thing? What's the noun? What's the program? This is so Jesus moves the conversation from noun, person, place, or thing, to action, verb, do something for the kingdom of God. And you don't need a program. You might not be able to uh, eradicate poverty, but there's someone you could give to. You might not be able to eradicate homelessness but you can help at the interfaith shelter. You might not be able to eradicate human trafficking, 
but you can love the woman on the street. You might not be able to eradicate. You name the pain. You name the issue. I, and your, your issue is the burden God's given you, and there's lots of them. 30-some kind of big things that I've made a list that people have brought to me over the last year, their burden. The foster care system, homelessness in our community, human trafficking, uh, the overdose uh, from drug addictions, the addictions themselves. My burden is I want to build wells. And I wish I could eradicate that most of the world doesn't have access to clean drinking water. That's why we build wells. I can't build all the wells in India. I can't build all the wells in Africa, but we can build two or three. And here's my point. What does it mean to be radiant? What does it mean to water the city? It means go and be the miracle. Build the one well. Do for the one person that you wish you could do for everybody. Do for the one person that you wish you could do for everybody. That is how we water the city. It's not let's launch one super big thing that you know, has a big splash and everybody sees it. No, it's the little things that we do collectively as a church that no one else sees that begins to have impact. And what I've learned is when we, kindness, acts of kindness, acts of service, doing good deeds is inspirational and contagious. When someone sees you do it, they get inspired and they do it. So let's water the city, not by our program. This is something we could do this week. You can leave in a, a kingdom impression on somebody this week. This reminds me of a story I read an article years ago. It's a grocery store, a, a local town grocery store. It wasn't like a big box Walmart. And the manager wanted to produce customer loyalty because you can't compete with Walmart. You know, but they buy in box, so the local stores usually are a little more. So the only thing that the manager could think of, like, well, maybe we can create customer loyalty. So they bring in a consultant consultant just I don't remember what the consultant did but the, what the consultant said to the team the staff of the grocery store says just ask yourself this what one thing can I do to leave an impression on our customer what's one thing that I can do to leave an impression on somebody and there was a bagger his name was Johnny and he was on the spectrum I don't know if he was autistic but he was on the spectrum and he started, Johnny started thinking about, well, well, how can I leave an impression? So he came up with this idea, let's, let's write a thought a day, print them out, and I'll sign the back of it, and I'll just drop them in the, the grocery bags. So Johnny, his dad helps him because he needs a little help with it. And, and every day, Johnny and his dad, they'd find a thought for the day. And you know what those are. Those are all the Facebook posts of your morning devotion and the, the one-liners, the thought for the day. And Johnny did this, and he'd drop it in the bag as he was doing your groceries. About a month goes by. Johnny's line is two-thirds longer than everybody, all the other cashiers. Because the town learned, you're going to get a thought for the day if you're in Johnny's line. They didn't care if they had to wait. 
And isn't that amazing how it inspired the community? Like, let's just get in line. I want their hearts, people's hearts are hungry, even for a thought that you've thought about them. It inspired the rest of the team in the grocery store. So the ladies who were the florists, if they had, you know, a, a damaged flower, they would give it to a little girl. If you know, the, the bakery started giving, I mean, it's like a domino effect within the store. Then all the departments started doing something to leave an impression. They couldn't do it for everybody, but they could do it for someone. Do what you wish you could do for everyone, for the one person. And there are many of us in the room. If we all did that, we would leave an impact on our community. Do for the one that you wish you could do for everyone. Be the miracle. Be radiant. Water the city. Give, give life. As you close your eyes and bow your heads, and even lift up your hands just as a posture of prayer, and would you just ask the Holy Spirit Lord who's one person that I can leave an impression on what's one person one thing that I can do to leave an impression maybe it's a phone call Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's meeting a need. Maybe it's showing up to the event. Maybe it's a quick text. Maybe it's the stranger. Maybe it's the barista that you see every day but still don't know her name. Father, I pray we would not be a church of slogans. Not asking who is our neighbor, what programs it. We're not, we don't have to wait. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is right here. And we are agents of your kingdoms. Your word says we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God, ambassadors of Christ. Father, everywhere we go, the kingdom goes with us and we can leave a kingdom impression upon our community. Thank you for this story. It reminds us it's one person. I pray, Father, we would, our church would be a blessing to our community, that we would leave an impression for the kingdom of God, not about radiant, but for the kingdom of God. And I pray we follow through on that because it's what you've called us to do. Love you and love people. Jesus' name.